you know, don't don't ever take our take your worldview for granted. Um, lean into it, press into it. Like I said earlier on that there's there's consequences. You know, ideas have consequences, and the consequences are dire. Like there's there is nothing more important to think about than the nature of reality and whether or not God exists. Because how you answer that question is gonna is gonna dictate how you live practically your entire life. And um, and especially as you seek to live out your life, does your worldview explain the, the things that you're trying to live out? So dig in, press in. Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we see how someone flips the record of their life. Each podcast, we listen to someone who has once been an atheist, but who unexpectedly became a Christian. Often, those who are resolute in their own worldview don't seem to change, but sometimes they do, and we are generally curious as to how that happens. Today, we'll be listening to John Noyes' surprising journey from atheism to Christianity. As an atheist, John's list for reasons for disbelief in God and Christianity was long. In my research survey, he listed 12 distinct reasons supporting his once-held atheism. They ranged from lack of intellectual evidence and rationality to negative experience with Christian hypocrisy, from social and moral disdain to a personal distaste for religious people and institutions. There was hardly an unchecked box on the survey. He even took extra time to type in his strongly atheistic view that Christians were deluded and superstitious people who needed to change their false presuppositions and false beliefs. For him, atheism was objective, known through science, logic, and experience. There was no doubt that God did not exist. He enjoyed the benefits of disbelief not only intellectually, but in social relationships it gave and the moral freedom it granted. He was quite happy as an atheist. John was a convinced atheist with no intention towards changing. Yet today, John's passion is helping others discover the truth of Christianity, having completed an advanced degree in the study of worldview and has worked full-time in Christian ministry. It's clear that a dramatic transformation has taken place. I hope you join in to hear his whole story, not only what informed his atheism, but what breached those stalwart walls and prompted him to reconsider what he once thought so ignorant. What would cause someone so resolute to change his view about God, to move from an anti-theist, atheist position to becoming a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? I can't wait to hear, and I hope you'll come along. Welcome to the Side B Podcast, John. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Jana. It's great to be with you. I love uh, the work that you're doing and, and how you're doing it, and uh, I've been looking forward to this for a few weeks now. Fantastic. Fantastic. As we're getting started, John, why don't you tell the listeners a, a little bit about yourself so we'll know who's telling this story. <laughs> Uh, sure. So uh, my my story was probably uh, typical, you know, average. I grew up in a town south of Boston, Massachusetts, called Plymouth, uh, the home of the Pilgrims, and um, you know, to a to a pretty normal family. Uh, you know, grew up playing soccer and enjoying life in in a, a suburb of Boston. And I just uh, I just had a great childhood. Went to Plymouth North High School. Uh, when I graduated there, I moved to Washington, D.C. and went to study criminal justice at American University. And I loved D.C. and living in our nation's capital for, well, the four years of college. But then after that, I got my first job um, different than what I thought I was going to be doing. I ended up actually being a paralegal at a, a fairly prestigious law firm in D.C., working on a lot of appellate work in front of the Supreme Court and having just a lot of fun in Washington, D.C., and then I felt a pull to pull me out to California. So about 15 years ago now, I, I hopped on a plane and uh, moved to sunny Southern California, where I've been uh, ever since, and, and I absolutely love where I live. I live in Newbury Pack, California. It's um, 
maybe about 45 miles north of, um, of Los Angeles and eight miles from the coast. And uh, it's just in, in this valley that I live in is just the best place to raise a family. And uh, I have a beautiful wife. Her name's Rihanna. And uh, she's my, my rock. I love her uh, with all my heart. And then I have four amazing little girls. Um, so I have Eva, who's 10. Phoebe, who's almost nine. I've got Joelle, who's seven. And then I have little Annette, who is four. She just turned four last month. So as, as with everybody right now, I'm just figuring out life and how to raise a family and, and uh, you know, lead during this time of uncertainty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is definitely a time of uncertainty. But uh, yeah, thank you for giving us a little introduction to who you are. I can, I can tell, <laughs> even though you've been in California for a while, you certainly haven't lost that Massachusetts accent. I can hear that kind of popping through from time to time. <laughs> As, as I get more comfortable, so when I get passionate, or uh, or and by passion I mean like you know animated, um, it comes out, and then also as I get more comfortable, the accent really starts coming out. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm really really sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we can all. You have a, a really great voice too, so I think we can all understand um, what you're saying. So. So, John, uh, you said you grew up in Massachusetts. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the religious culture there? Was there much of one, and what did that look like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, I I uh, have a, a few friends back east who would claim to be religious, and, and when I say religious, I mean Catholic mostly. But it's it's a cultural Catholicism. When I say that, I mean they don't really go to mass. They don't, uh, they don't worship God. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more of, you know, my family is Catholic, so I'm Catholic. And that, that probably describes maybe a third of my friends growing up. And then the other two thirds, I would say are those, which are now we consider the nuns, right? They, they have um, no religious affiliation whatsoever. Uh, my family in particular, uh, we have Catholic roots going back a couple, you know, three or four generations, but my, my family, we never practiced anything really. And what that did is in the, in the cultural climate, um, it kind of allowed, well, a good thing is it allowed me to explore worldviews. It allowed me to explore my own, I guess, convictions. However, the bad part of that is, is I wasn't guided at all. And um, I became an atheist by the time I was in high school, I um, I was an atheist, and nobody ever really pushed back on my atheism. It was just normal, and that I think is indicative of the culture in the Northeast. I'm not saying that there aren't any Christians there. There certainly are um, some really really great churches that are doing awesome things. Just none in really where I grew up. One of the most interesting things actually in Plymouth. I was just back east, uh, maybe th two months ago, and walking around the hometown where I grew up, and and kind of reminiscing and. We have a lot of obviously old architecture in, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and the first church that was ever built sits up on top of this hill. It still stands today. It was built in, uh, I, th I think it was built in the late 1600s, and um, it's still there. And it was a it was a vibrant church for you know 150 years or whatnot. And but now it's actually a Universal Unitarian Church, and and that is actually kind of the story. I feel like of the 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 Northeast. It started out uh, with deep roots in in the Christian faith, but then over time, it kind of just gave way to a, a relativism and uh, an inclusivism. And so now, uh, I would say most people that I know, at least in the Northeast, um, in my circle of friends, my influences are not religious. Uh, really at all. It, it, was, it was interesting growing up. Actually, my earliest memory of church, so for some strange reason, and we never went to, we never went to church ever. Um, we never talked about God in my family. Um, I mean, I literally have no recollection of, of the topic of God or Jesus. I actually had very little understanding of uh, who God was, accurately at least, or who Jesus is um, until I became a Christian. Um, so, but my earliest recollection of, of, um, 
religion growing up is actually my, my for some strange reason my parents wanted me to get uh, my first communion in the Catholic Church. It's just like again, it's it's a cultural thing. This is what you do. So they had me go to Sunday school, CCD, and I ended up getting kicked out of CCD. I was I was a challenging child. So uh, I, my earliest memory is the the Catholic priest of the church right down the street from my house, kind of walking me out by the collar of my neck because I had done something I don't know what, but I definitely deserved this, I'm sure. And I remember my mom pulling around the church cul-de-sac, and in her blue Ford station wagon. Uh, the, the priest opening up the door, gently guiding me inside the car. And I remember that it was a summer, so I remember the, the window open, passenger side window, and him leaning in and just saying to my mom, you know, I'd appreciate if you just never bring your son back here again. Oh and, uh, and it sticks in my mind. I'm not going to relate that or, or, I guess, put much weight on that me, uh, to me becoming an atheist or anything like that. It's just, um, it's just an interesting, I guess, commentary. Uh, that that's my earliest memory of really anything religious in my life, anything significant at least. So uh, it, was, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I'm sure I deserved it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I've always been a questioner. I've asked questions ad nauseum of, of just about anything, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, part of it was seeking, part of it was just trying to stump people, even when I was, how old, how old were you with the first community? Maybe 13 or something. So not even that old. But that's my earliest memory. Uh, And it's interesting and why I bring it up is because it's the cultural component, you know, that um, we do this. We do this simply because this is what we do. There's no real meaning behind it. So my parents were willing to allow me to become catechized, um, willing to expose me to Catholic doctrine and teaching. But there was no meaning behind it at all. And, and that, that, for a kid, I think, produces a lot of confusion, um, especially as, as if you really do start leaning into these things and you realize that there's significance there's, um, to, to what we believe. It matters. You know, ideas have consequences. So you, at one instance, you're getting taught one thing at home. My mom would always say, you do you, I'll do me, or whenever I was in trouble or something like that. You know, it, it was all relativism. Uh, relativism. But yet on the weekends, they had no problem sending me to a, you know, Catholic training, ultimately, where, well, I guess relativism has seeped in there, too. But I, I remember them trying to, to argue with me against relativism at the time. At least. I mean, this is now, oh, my gosh, like 30 years. But, I bet that would cause a bit of confusion if you really tried to think about it with some clarity. Uh, but you said also in there that you had the tendency to question and also to challenge As you were growing up, and I'm sure you were just fine and leaving catechism and CCD behind um, when you got kicked out, it was just something you didn't have to do. But as you were growing up and through those, you said your teenage years, you said around 13, 14, and did you challenge, did you have an opportunity to challenge anyone, any Christian or anyone with that kind of a worldview or religious worldview uh, when you were pushing away from it, uh, did you did you have anyone in your world who represented what you did you would consider to be a Christian? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, in my in, I'd say up through high school, no, um, I didn't. I really didn't know. My best friend growing up, uh, he's to this day he considers himself Catholic. I don't know when the last time he's been to mass was. I, I don't think he. It's truly sold out on the worldview. He certainly believes God exists. I think he'd probably uh, say a few uh, meaningful things about who Jesus is. But I never pressed into anybody. Um, and when I did, I, they, they never had answers for me. And then up through college is really where I started leaning into my atheism. And when I say that is I tried to live my atheism out consistently. And so whenever anybody brought something up um, from a distinctly religious perspective, whether that be Christianity, uh, Islam, you know, Buddhist, whatever it might be, I'd, I'd like to press into them and lead them um, in a conversation, trying to see if they could defend some of the things that they say are true. And um, I had a lot of fun doing it, to be honest with you. But during specifically the, the, the high school years or my young adulthood, um, early years, I should say, no, I didn't really have anybody. Nobody took their faith seriously in my life. It's just, it's just a, I guess it's just a symptom of where I grew up. Um, it, it, until I became a Christian, honestly, I didn't actually, until I met my wife, I should say, until I met my wife here in California, I hadn't ever really met a Christian who was like walking the walk. 
I'd met people who were talking the talk, but then very quickly as I'd, I'd, I'd love to take them up for a cup of coffee or my favorite place was going, you know, to the bar and, and buying them a beer and, and, uh, and talking about religious things. And I would, I would press into them pretty hard. And, and that I think is actually one of the, there's, there's two sad components to that in, in my mind. It's one is uh, the, the people who claimed to be Christians. And, they, and some of them, I think, were Christians. I mean, they're not, I'm not saying that they weren't, but they didn't really have a rational justification for why they believed what they believed. You know, and when, when I would press them, they'd say, I believe this because the Bible says so-and-so. And I, at the time, I'd say, I don't care what the Bible says, but why should I trust the Bible? And that's where the conversation started. The other sad commentaries, I think that their their faith, their their trust, their worldview was was an inch deep. Um, they also never really tried to share the gospel with me at all. Uh, again, I had I didn't hear the gospel uh, until I was in my mid twenties, and after I had been kind of put on this journey uh, from atheism to Christianity, and and that's something I think is just really important and, and should be fundamental in our lives. We should know what the gospel is. Uh, and we should be willing to share that. And I always, in, in hindsight, when I think back on my story, um, that nobody ever kind of shared the gospel with me is, is concerning, you know. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about an upcoming C.S. Lewis Institute online event. We all know someone who is suffering right now in one way or another. It seems inescapable. When we hear of a friend who's struggling, it can be easy to say, I'm praying for you, but harder to know actually what to pray or how to understand why difficult things happen. Nancy Guthrie has written a new book called I'm Praying For You, where she teaches us how to pray for those who are hurting through using the words of the Bible. She also shows us how God's purposes are revealed even in and through our darkest days and encourages us to pray for His will instead of our own through challenging situations. I hope you'll join us online on January 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to hear Nancy talk about how to pray for others who are suffering. There's no charge for this event, but you do need to register at www.cslewisinstitute.org. Now back to our story. I'm, I'm curious, you, you made the comment that you tried to live your atheism consistently. You, you challenged others, at, perhaps at the college level, um, to defend what they believed to be true. Did you look deeply at your own atheism in terms of its own implications for your life, for reality? I mean, absolutely. And so, so in college, I studied criminal justice, which in its very nature is that lots of moral conversations come up when you're talking about, you know, uh, theories of justice, systems of justice, the um, judicial system, where laws come from and, and, um, and the hist- you know, a constitutional law is, is one of the classes I took in, in undergrad and um, it, by, by default, these, these conversations that we're having in class were moral from the get-go. So when I had friends in, in class, there was, there was one, one uh, gentleman I, I remember, his name was Chris, he's from Connecticut. And he would, he, uh, him and I were, I guess, uh, you know, the, the loud ones in the class. We liked to participate in conversations and discussions. And, and he would, he was Christian. And he would bring up the, you know, the, the idea that there's an objective morality, for example, to, to base our laws in. You know, um, certain things are wrong, not because we say they're wrong, but because they're wrong uh, in and of themselves, objectively wrong. And um, and I would press back at him on that and and then say, well, no, 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 it's obvious. Like we came up with these laws. I mean, this is the law of the land. The Constitution was written by men. You know, we uh, and and, you know, we go back and forth. So there was there was great dialogue in that. And as I got older and digging into these these classes, I really started to lean into my atheism, meaning I tried to live consistently with my worldview. And I, I, I realized that as I, as I pressed into the world around me, I guess I realized a few things. First is there's an objective nature to reality, meaning we don't construct our own reality out there. Like the world isn't how we want it to be. Um, and, and I tried to, to, I guess, justify that according to my atheism. If, if atheism is true, 
um, ultimately Mike makes right. And I'm a pretty big guy. You know, I'm 6'3", 250 pounds. Um, I probably wasn't that heavy in college. But, you know, I was still big. And, and I was bigger than a lot of kids. So I should just be able to take what I want. You know, do what I want. Um, and, and I started trying to really lean into that and live that out. And it led to some really dark places really quickly. You know, Greg Kokel, when he talks about this, um, he's my boss at Stand to Reason now. And he, um, he, he calls them bumps in the reality. And, and this, this would be the, the, the bump of morality, the bump of, uh, of ouch, you know, uh, and when I leaned into my atheism, I was realizing that, uh, no, there are certain right and wrongs out there, and it's they're independent of my feelings towards them personally, uh, which led me to have to come to the conclusion that there's an objective uh, moral depth, moral law uh, to the way things are. So, um, and, and that's not the only place where I bumped into reality. You know, I mean, um, it's it, it, throughout my whole story. I remember as as a in California because of the weather out here. It's just so beautiful. I'd stay out at night and I'd just look up into the sky. And as an atheist, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, uh, well, I'm, I guess I'm not thinking really about creation at all. Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, we're accidental byproducts of, of nature, your random quantification of molecules bumping into each other, meat suits in motion. And, and, but I remember distinctly one night in my backyard, I was living in Hollywood and I remember reclining with a bunch of friends We're in lawn chairs in the back. And just, just relaxing, you know, beautiful California night, staring up into the sky and wondering, like, why is it all here? And then how, how is it here? You know, all the, the, the beautiful things that I was seeing in that sky and, and, and even the creation of the, the, the world around me, uh, how did it get here? You know, and, and that's another bump into reality, the bump of stuff, you know, and, and uh, I think maybe a lot of your listeners are, are familiar with the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God. And I didn't know that this is what I was thinking about at the time, but I was, I was thinking, well, nothing comes from nothing. So that means everything had to come from something. And what is that something? And, and like, how, you know, I, I see the world around me. It's not a mental construct. We're not these, you know, brains and vats. There's a, there's a physical reality out there that exists. Where'd it come from? Because it couldn't just pop into existence. That's anti-scientific. So, so it had to come from somewhere. And as I dug into that, I started realizing, you know, the best explanation for the, the physical nature, the physical world around us was uh, an uncreated creator, ultimately, you know, an unembodied mind, a creative mind that is immensely powerful and that had, that had a creative depth that wanted this to come. I didn't know how else to justify that. Um, and again, my atheism, I, I had no, um, I had no category for that, you know, so, so on two, two fronts now, atheism, my atheism, which I was sticking to hard was, uh, was failing me. It was, it wasn't able to explain the, the world around me, reality, the way things really are. And, um, and then I remember also, uh, you know, I, I call it the bump of me, uh, that, that there's a, there's a clearly, there, there's a. A clear aspect to us that's non-physical. Um, you know, we, I, we in hindsight, me and you, Jana, we call it our soul. Um, but as an atheist, I, I did, I had no category for the existence of my mind. For example, I remember um, really thinking about what love is, and as a, as an atheist, really like, well, what is love? And I was trying to live out my atheism, and, and I had, I had no place for love in my worldview, because it's, it's, it's clearly, I would have said it's a, it's, it's not even a feeling. I would have said it's, a, it's, it's a reaction that's happening chemically in your brain. that's making a certain, you know, neurons are firing to make you feel a certain way towards something, but that's clearly not true because, you know, um, for example, I, I love my mom, no matter how I think about her at the moment, whether I'm mad at her or sad or, or whatever, I, I, I clearly love her. And it's, so there's something that's happening uh, in me that's controlled uh, by me, not a product of a naturalistic process in my brain. Um, and then also introspection. You know, how, how can I be in, introspective? Like how can I even, even think the thoughts that I'm thinking and, 
and process stuff. Why am I even struggling with these existential issues as I press into my atheism? Because according to atheism, I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, there's no there's no place for that in my worldview. So as I've leaned into atheism and trying to live it out naturally, I mean uh, logically and, and consistently, I naturally um, started to move away from it, <laughs> which is which, which is so interesting. Like as I pressed into atheism, trying to prove it uh, correct is actually the exact opposite thing happened to me. I was I was proving it false and wanting. I wasn't able to describe the way the way the world really was. It wasn't able to, to shoulder the burden of, of uh, an objective morality that seemed totally um, consistent with the world around me. It wasn't able to uh, to explain where it all came from, where everything, all the stuff came from. And thirdly, it wasn't able to, uh, you know, give me a sense of self, you know, a, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning and in, in any explanation for introspection or, or the thoughts that I had in my mind. Um, so I was finding it wanting as I was into it. And now kind of getting back to your question about talking to people about this stuff. Um, it wasn't until I met my wife really in, in uh, Southern California, I actually met Rihanna the, the, my very first night in California. I was literally right off the plane. I was at a patty and, and she walked in and she just, uh, from the very moment I met her, she just enamored me. I was just, Oh my gosh, like, who is this girl? <laughs> and, um, and we got to know each other. And we started, you know, dating and, <laughs> and then I, she, I didn't know she was a Christian for a while. And then she did something crazy. She asked me to go to church with her. And I've done crazier things, Jana, for the affections of a woman than go to church on Sunday. With her. <laughs> so I said, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll go to this weird you know, place with you. And it was, it was strange. It was really weird, but it was really good too. And it wasn't until then that I actually met people who took their worldview seriously up until then. Um, I never got answers from people, ever, and and then finally now, and then there's a group of men there that I'm still I'm still close with. I haven't been to that church now in uh, about ten years. Uh, I've just moved on, and but I'm still really close with the pastor and 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 a couple of the men that took me kind of under their wing, even as an atheist, and were willing to put up with my. I guess I shouldn't say put up with. They were willing to humor my questions, even though they didn't necessarily have the answers. Um, and they were willing to give of themselves, give their time and and um, and their patience, and really walk with me and struggle through certain things with me. And then I, um, <laughs> I did, uh, kind of a side note is, is I, we started going to this church, and my wife was she's she's always been Christian. She would say that that she is always just she was raised uh, to believe in God and the Christian God. And even though she was maybe backslidden a little bit, she wasn't living it out. Um, she would say that she had a strong faith and she wanted to get involved in the church and she wanted to become a member of this church. So I went to the membership classes with her, you know, uh, trying to get more ammo against the Christian. And, and uh, part of the membership process at this church was to meet with the pastor and his wife. And we met with them together. And I went into this meeting and I'm looking back on it now and you know, oh. <laughs> I, I was so conceited and, uh, and, Arrogant is probably the right word. I went in there with with notes. I mean, I had a note, a stack. I'm using, I'm putting my fingers out. It's probably about an inch thick of you know carbon dating, questions on evolution, um, you know, uh, proof, uh, uh, proving that the, the the Bible isn't what it claims to be. There's there's all, all these errors in the Bible, and I had in my mind that I was going to go into this meeting and I was going to deconvert this pastor. And that would have been like, you know, a notch on my belt, you know, because because I've never talked to a Christian to this point that's been able to defend their worldview to my liking. So how, how cool would it be if I deconverted, deconverted the pastor and we're sitting there and and I asked all my questions and it was really great. This the pastor, Dave, is uh, Dave Polis, uh, so patient. And he answered a lot of my questions uh, to my satisfaction he, to a lot of them. He said, I don't know. That's a really great question. I never thought about it. Um, and the best thing is, is just, he was just honest and real. He wasn't trying to blow smoke at me or convince me really of anything. He was there to listen to me and, and, and he answered my questions to the best of his ability. And at the end of the meeting, they hug my wife, him and his, uh, pastor Dave and, and his wife, Amy, they hug Rihanna and they say, we'd love to have you as a member because my wife is Christian and, uh, clearly, 
And then Dave takes my hand in his and he shakes it and he says, you know what, John, we have enough members now. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. And it was <laughs> because, because if he had, if he had offered me membership, I would have been like, this is exactly what I think that this is. This is all a crock. You just want my, 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 my butt in your seat and you want my bucks in your coffer. And that's all you care about. Exactly what I thought of the church. And, and he didn't, he said, you know what, like keep coming around, but you can't be a member here. <laughs> and I really respect that. And then the best part of this is that he, uh, as he's shaking my hand, he pulled a book off of the bookshelf, um, an apologetics book. And I'd never heard of the word apologetics in, in my entire life. And, uh, and he gave it to me and he said, you know what, some of the answers that you're looking for some of the answers to the questions that you've been asking me that I couldn't answer, I think they might be in this book. And I, I took the book home and I read it probably a dozen times. And for the first time, I, I, um, I, was, I was getting intellectual answers, respectable answers to the deep questions that I had. And now you combine that with the soul searching I've been doing. I've been realizing that as I, as I was trying to live my atheism out in reality, I kept bumping into reality in those areas. And then you combine this, okay, now there's intellectual answers out there. And that led me to another book and then another book and then another book. And then also right at that same time, like God is just so good. Right at that same time, my future in-laws, they gave me my first Bible. They gave me a, a New Believers Bible. It's the, the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's, uh, I think, uh, edited by Greg Laurie, and, and it has, like, cool commentary, you know, uh, very simple. You know, who is Jesus? Who is Satan? Who is God? What's the Trinity? You know, and these cornerstones of faith is what they call it in there. And I read that cover to cover over the span of three months. So I was being ministered to through just the nature of reality, trying to press into my my worldview, seeing that the world is a certain way. My worldview wasn't able to explain that. I was being ministered to by these Christian apologists who, who wrote phenomenal books that just put their ideas out there for people like me to struggle and wrestle with. And then I was also being ministered to by the word of God. And then that's really, so, so my mind and my body were being ministered to reality and the intellect. And now my soul was being ministered to through the word of God. And it was in that direct encounter really with the word of God, as I sat on my morning and afternoon train to and from work and read Genesis to Revelation, when I put the Bible down uh, after interacting with it, struggling and wrestling with it, I had to draw the conclusion that uh, God is the Christian God. And more specifically, uh, Jesus is who he claimed to be. And, and that was a, a turning place for me. It led me into a, a deep study of the resurrection and uh, trying to see if my naturalism, if my atheism could explain the facts surrounding the, the resurrection. And after that study, and I remember sitting on my couch and I had the, this, this is when I relented. The, uh, I was sitting on my couch struggling with, you have all this evidence centered around specifically the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. There's uh, these core pieces. I think, um, you know, Habermas now says maybe there's 18 uh, agreed upon facts centered around the resurrection of Jesus. And, and when I say that, it means there's 18 pieces of, of history, events in history that are believed to have happened regardless of our worldview. So Christians believe that these things happened. Muslims believe these things happened. Atheists believe these things happened. For like one would be, you know, an empty tomb, which is a more recent one, or Jesus' um, uh, crucifixion, he died on the cross. People, that's what happened. We, we generally believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. His disciples had uh, what they experienced or described as an experience with a risen Jesus. He was dead, he was buried, and then the disciples said they interacted with him again alive. Like these things people across the worldview spectrum believe happened. So these are pieces of evidence for the resurrection. Now, I have to put those, this is the way I thought at least at the time, I have to take these pieces of evidence, these building blocks, and I need to come up with a hypothesis that explains them um, cohesively and, uh, and, and together, you know, not independent of one another. And I remember sitting on this couch and the thought that went through my mind, Jana, was, well, maybe this is really what I thought. And this is the turning point for me. Maybe aliens came down 
and did something crazy futuristic to the body of Jesus so that he got brought back to life. And then I remember thinking, if I'm willing to posit aliens and not God, I have a serious intellectual problem going on. Mm-hmm. And right there, I said, I'm cooked. And then, like, as I'm saying this, the hairs are standing up in my arms because it was such a fundamental, it was such a turning time, like a turning place in my life. Everything changed for me. Um, everything. My, my focus of life uh, and how I was living um, shifted dramatically. And, uh, and I haven't looked back since. I've just caught fire. And, um, and it, it, it's just so cool when you've been now just talking about it. That was a really long your very short question. No, no. You know, what what strikes me as you're telling your story is that you what what I appreciate really as you were is that you were a, an an intellectually driven atheist, honest about your worldview, pursuing whether or not it was true as related to the reality and the evidence that you were finding. You continued pursuing in light of the fact that you had some pushback, some bumps in reality, but you were still trying to justify your atheism, but you were becoming open enough to consider another perspective. Um, I think that 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 openness and that your intellectual honesty is to be really praised because I think we live in in a time and a place where we have a tendency tendency to just hold on to our worldview at any cost, no matter what other viewpoints may say, or even what reality might say, um, that we, we become so kind of insular in our own perspectives that, that we're not willing to even consider another point of view. It sounds like you went on a journey, but you were willing to consider the evidence as it came. And, and- uh, I think, I think that's huge. And that's true even today, right? I, I don't believe what I believe because it makes me feel good or because it's, it certainly hasn't made me any more money. I mean, I was, I was making really good money. I was having a ball. So it was, it's not like yeah, I'm having like you know, a better life now than I'm a Christian. Um, I don't believe for those reasons. It didn't make me popular or gaining me any type of fame or anything like this. I, I believe what I believe because it's true. And I've always felt that way. And I think that this is, this is, uh, and this is one of the pieces of, um, I, 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 I teach a, a class called discipleship at a, at a local small Christian high school. And as I'm discipling these, these, uh, these boys, these seniors, uh, just yesterday I was telling them, like, our, our main goal in life is the pursuit of truth. We don't ever want to believe anything that's not true. And I was like that as an atheist and I'm like that as a Christian. And my mind is still open. If, if, if I would love to talk to, to anybody. If, if you think Christianity is false, then, then, then give me the case as to why it's false and why your explanation of reality, your reasons to believe the world is a certain way, something that explains the world around us is better. If, if you want to explain that to me and prove that to me, I'm open to it. Because tr- certainly if Christianity isn't true, I don't want to believe it. Um, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, I mean, this is this is scripture, right? So, so Paul says that if Jesus hasn't been raised raised from the dead, then we're to be pitied above all men. You know, not only that, we're still we're still dead in our sins. And I might as well, if, if Christianity isn't true, I might as well go back to my 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 atheistic living, uh, my hedonism, for, uh, you know, pursuit of my own pleasures, um, than than living this life I I, I live now. Um, so, you know, I believe what I believe because, because it's true. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I've always felt. Truth has been paramount to me my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, nobody likes being lied to. Nobody likes getting the wool pulled over their eyes. Why would that be any different with our worldview? Um, we should apply that to our worldviews and, and so we should all be digging into whoever's your, your listening audiences. You should be digging into your worldview. You should be pressing at it. Even the Christian don't ever get complacent. Uh, in, in what your worldview has to offer. Don't ever just take it for granted. Dig into it. Test all things, holding fast to that which is true is what the Bible says. You know, it, it, this isn't a blind faith. It never has been for me. Uh, it, it, there's too much writing on it. <laughs> right, <laughs> no, it. absolutely. 
Now, you, you obviously, again, went through quite a journey uh, of looking at truth, look at, looking at reality, reading books, reading the, the Bible, and you came to a place, particularly, I guess, after considering the resurrection, that it was true. You came to a belief or an intellectual assent in the, the truth and reality of the Christian worldview, but as you and I know, you know, there's more to it than intellectual belief. And you mentioned earlier something about the gospel that that Christians had never told you about the gospel. And I'm wondering how the gospel played what it is, first of all. How did you come to learn it? Was it through reading the Bible? Because it's a, you said you read you read it cover to cover on your train ride. And and so I'm wondering how you put the pieces together between your intellectual ascent and giving your life to someone. Yeah. So part of my pursuit uh, of my atheism, one of the one of the things that became very clear to me, clear to me, is that the world isn't at a, as it ought to be. Uh, one of the the common experiences we all share, and when I say we all, I mean every person who's ever lived on this planet shares the understanding that something is deeply wrong with the world, whether it be uh, you know, a political issue, whether it be a, um, you know, a family issue, uh, an issue with friends or an issue with your job. You, there's, there's the, the, the world around us screams out that it's not as it ought to be. And, and, if that's the, if, if there's a way that it, that it's not as it ought to be, that means there was a way that it ought to be, and that led me into a, just a, a pursuit of okay, how ought it be, and that's really where we find the start of the gospel, um, and and that's what the, this 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 experience that that we're talking about today. This this is why I think ultimately why the Christian worldview is true. It's because of the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news um, of what God has done through and in Jesus Christ. And, and it finds its beginning in a perfect creation. Everything was created perfect and right. God, at the end of his creation days, looked at it and he stepped back and he said, it's good. You know, he created man. He said, man and woman, and he said, they're very good. And everything was as it was. But then something went wrong. A problem got introduced to the reality of the world. And that is sin. You know, Eve had an interaction with uh, the serpent and then believed the lies. Uh, did God really say, you know, and, and then it's something that we all struggle with. You know, uh, we, we all want and ultimately we want to be our own kind of God. We want to be, I, when I was little, I used to say, I'm the boss of my own self, you know, and, and that's that's how we want to live life. And that was what happened with Eve. Did God really say you can't eat of that tree? He's just trying to hold you back is what he said. To her and then she believed him and took of the fruit and, and ate and gave to her husband to Adam and he ate and from that moment on sin has entered the world causing uh, well everything to kind of go awry and that's why things aren't as it, it, things ain't as it ought to be you know and um, but the, the 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 cool thing about the gospel is un, unlike any other worldview that's out there there's a solution in the gospel there's a solution in Christianity. To the, to the fundamental problem that we all experience. And that solution is that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He bore the penalty. He, he uh, turned aside God's judgment, God's wrath from us as payment for our sins. He took these things on, the brokenness of our lives. Uh, and, and, then, and then through that action, through the crucifixion, we're restored. You know, that, that shattered relationship with God. So you see, when we uh, fell into sin, the, the main problem yes the world isn't as it ought to be yes we we harm and and, and uh, sin against each other but the main issue is that we sin against god we break that relationship that we once had that was once had with, with adam and eve that was perfect and that shattered relationship jesus he rebuilds it um in, in in the context of the the crucifixion and the resurrection and then that's now played out in the existence of the church there's a new life that that we human beings we, we find in christ um, and it's granted out of the sheer grace of God. It's received. It's it's not received by anything that we do. It's it's. And there's nothing 
that we can do to earn God's favor. It's a free gift as we repent of our sins and, and turn to Jesus. We confess him as the Lord and, and then we bow to him joyfully um, as, as we come to realize these things. You know, So the gospel is the good news um, and it's the good news of what God has done in Jesus um, by, by taking the fundamental problem of reality that there's something wrong with the world and completely restoring it. Now it's not completely restored yet. We're still waiting for the, the, the consummation the final product, but it's also something just because it's not here completely doesn't mean we can't experience it now. And I've experienced that in my life. You know, I, I, as I took a, as I took a deep look at the person that I was and the person I was becoming to be, as I was chasing the morality that was granted to me through my atheism and then realizing that, that I I was the problem, (laughs) the problem wasn't out there. Like I used to think, as I started digging into my my worldview, I realized that I was the problem. Hmm. Me. And it's a personal problem. And it needs a personal solution. And, and the solution is, but the, the solution, while it's personal, is completely outside of us. Because I don't have the capability to fix the problem. And I, it has to come from something else. And that's where it came from. That's the good news, is, is that the, the, the gospel, that's the gospel, is that the solution to, to my personal problem comes to the person the life and the work of Jesus Christ as he lived the perfect life, the life that you and I, Jana, we should be living that perfect life, but we can't because of sin. As, as he went to the cross and died that perfect death, the perfect death that, that you and I, that we, everybody listening, that we deserve to die because of our sin, paying a price that, that you and I, we can't afford. We don't have, there's not enough money in existence or ever been in existence to pay that debt. But Jesus paid it on that cross. And then not only the, it doesn't stop there as he died and was buried in the tomb. The best part of the good news is three days later, he didn't, he didn't lie dead. Then this is really what separates Jesus from any other God out there. He didn't remain dead. He walked again. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He was raised by his father, by the God, the father. And in so doing, we find the promise that we all long for. Everlasting life, complete healing. Every tear will be dried. Every uh, disease and infirmity will be cured because of that resurrection. We're guaranteed a promise of eternal life with God, the father uh, and his beautiful son, empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to live perfect, sinless lives in glory. And, and that's when Jesus comes back and, and ushers in the new creation, obviously. But, uh, but that's the gospel, the good news, the solution to the universal problem that we all experience, that we all know that's out there. And I don't know any other worldview that offers uh, a a more robust, uh, accurate solution. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Wow. It it sounds like you're convinced you found reality and that reality is in the person of Jesus. I mean, that's right. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's It's incredible. I'd like to pause for a moment and tell you about a wonderful way for you to take a closer, more intentional look at an important area of your life that's often neglected. When a new year rolls around, we often consider many areas in need of attention in our lives and we set new personal goals. Every year, many of us will go through a physical checkup or a performance review at our workplace. But how often do we take time to review our spiritual life? The C.S. Lewis Institute Annual Spiritual Checkup is designed to help you take a closer look at your spiritual life over the past year and to prayerfully seek God's help in areas where you sense He desires you to grow in the new year. There are strategic questions, articles, and video talks that are designed to help you think through pivotal spiritual areas in your own life. I hope You'll take a look at this complimentary resource. You can access the C.S. Lewis Spiritual Checkup at the Institute website by typing in www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash ASC. Now back to our story. Now you, you mentioned that everything changed in your life after you accepted this truth, not for not only for all of reality, but for yourself personally. How did things change in your life? How are you experiencing this good news as applied to you personally? What difference did how how is your atheistic life different from your what you're experiencing now? 
That's a that's a really really good question, Jenna. Wow. <laughs> so there's practical things um, uh, from the, what I choose to do and what I choose not to do. And I want to be kind of clear here. Before I was a Christian, uh, when I was an atheist, I used to think Christians were boring. I didn't want to be a Christian because I thought I, I, I thought I'd have to be ruled by this sky daddy who was, uh, you know, basically just sitting up in up in the sky waiting for me to do something wrong so he could punish me. And, and that's, that's so far from the truth. So when I say that my behaviors change very practically, my practical living changed, uh, how I spend my money, uh, how I spend my time, certainly the relationships I choose to keep. And there were relationships that I chose to get rid of because they were extremely unhealthy. Not that they weren't fun. They were unhealthy. Um, so things like that changed, but it wasn't because uh, I was, I was scared of a, of a God that was waiting to send bolts of lightning down to punish me. My desires, my wants, and, and my focus uh, shifted out of uh, a reverence and a respect as opposed to a fear of, of punishment. So obviously as an atheist, I didn't try to live my life according to the standards of Jesus. I tried to live my life according to my own standards, completely subjective. And, and there's some overlap there. You know, I, I think I tried my best to love other people to the best of my understanding and knowledge of what love is. But it wasn't until I became a Christian that I understood that 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 we're called all people. We're, we're told to love God and love people. That's the great commandment. So as I became a Christian, I, I tried to align my life very practically into what how Jesus has, has told me to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, certain behaviors had to stop. I used to drink a lot. You know, I used to love to party and go out and have, and quotes, fun. You know, that was, that was my life. Um, that had to stop clearly. And it's not because like, again, it's not this, I'm, I'm fearful of people listening who, who maybe don't share my worldview or our worldview, Jana, like thinking what I used to think that this is, this is your typical Christian who uh, isn't doing stuff because he's fearful of punishment. I live and stand firm in the grace of God. There is nothing that can separate you. If you're a Christian, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation in Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. So uh, I'm, I'm, I don't refrain from my sinful activity. I don't refrain from going out and drinking and have extramarital marital affairs because I'm worried of God's judgment or punishment on me. I'm refraining from those things. Because I, I now want to honor God in all that I do, whether I eat, sleep, or drink, do all unto the glory of God, is what the Bible tells us. And that's where my focus is shifted. And that's a dramatic, that's where the dramatic shift comes in. I'm no longer the master of my own ship. I have a new master. And uh, and he's a good master. And I know that he is he wants the not only the best for my life, he not only wants me to have the best life now. But he also wants me to have the best life forever and ever and ever. So my focus completely shifted off of pursuing my own desires to uh, pursuing the desires of, of the one who created me, my Heavenly Father. And I now get to serve God with, with every aspect of my being. And uh, no comparison on a, on a naturalistic perspective. None. That's an incredibly transformed perspective loves and living. That's amazing. Um, John, as we're coming to a close, I, I know that there are probably some skeptics out there. Perhaps they're curious enough as you were to explore the evidence and to go where the evidence leads. And I wondered if you could speak or give advice to someone who perhaps is where you once were as an atheist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, press in to your worldview. Uh, don't don't take the you know the common answers uh, at face value. Never when 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 somebody teaches you something um, or or you hear something in hindsight. Okay, so Janet, in hindsight, when I'm thinking about my my atheism, when I was an atheist, I carried with me all the atheistic slogans. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I used what I would call the nail in God's coffin, my argument from the problem of evil. Um, I, I had a, a surface level understanding of the problem of evil, 
But then when I started digging into it, I actually realized that it's not just, I mean, it is a problem for the Christians. Don't get me wrong. It's a problem for everybody though. It was my problem too. And, and I, when you get outside of yourself, you gotta, you gotta kind of step back and, and be intellectually honest and, and say, wait a second, this is a problem for the Christian. What about my solution and which one's better here? So, so pursue your own worldview uh, to where, where it leads. And then not only that, but then uh, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're an atheist, live it out. Like try to live it out in, in a consistent fashion. You know, I, I have a, I have a really, really wonderful friend and she's a, she, she's a, she claims to be a relativist. Like she says that she says, no, I believe relativism is true more. We make uh, our own system of rights and wrongs. Well, I, I, I leaned into her about that and said, well, how is that even possible? Because like you, there, there's one political candidate that she just can't stand. And I said, but you're rejecting this person on, on moral, on moral values, but those are just that person's moral values. And, 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 and those are up to him to make. And so there's this check there. And, and she actually was honest enough to say, you know what? You might be right. Like there might be something to now. I, and now that's not an argument to convince her of the Christian worldview. It's just saying, okay, well, let's be consistent with our worldviews. Which worldview is most consistent with reality? Lean into it. Don't take people's words for it. Um, those, those atheistic slogans I used to carry with me when I started actually um, really trying to dig into them and, and see what the meaning was behind them and where they came from. Um, when I started reading uh, deeply on about evolution and um, and where we came from, the the solutions didn't satisfy. So uh, in one in one aspect, the the answers are in your own worldview. You know, if your worldview can't give you the answers to certain fundamental uh, things of reality, you know, quite, if they can't answer the fundamental questions of reality, meaning, purpose, origins, destiny, uh, morality then you might want to consider a different worldview. Um, and, and how well does that worldview lean up, line up with reality? And so that's what I'd say is dig in um, to your questions. And that goes for the Christian too. Uh, don't ever be satisfied with, with answers that don't satisfy. <laughs> right. you know, don't roll it over. Um, the, you know, one of my recommendations is when I read scripture, and this is for Christian and non-Christian, like if you're going to dig into the scriptures, and I highly recommend that you do, uh, start with the Gospel of Mark. It's really quick. You can read it in like three or four days. But don't just power read it. Christian and non-Christian alike, read it. And when you come to a place that's like, what? What are you talking about? What's this mean? Stop and actually think about it. So what does this mean? What's this? Let's wrestle with this. You know, don't don't ever take our take your worldview for granted. Um, lean into it press into it. I said earlier on that there's, there's consequences, you know, ideas have consequences and the consequences are dire. Like there's, there is nothing more important to think about than the nature of reality and whether or not God exists, because how you answer that question is going to, is going to dictate how you live practically your entire life. And, um, and especially as you seek to live out your life, does your worldview explain the the things that you're trying to live out? Mm. So dig in, press in. And that's the other thing is don't ever give up. Don't take um, unsatisfying answers um, as gospel truth. You know, dig in, press in, don't ever give up. And, um, and enjoy the process. Um, I, I love talking about this stuff. No, and, no, that's great. That's great. And finally, if you wanted to just turn and talk to the Christian in terms of how they can best engage with those who don't believe, perhaps the way they live their lives, you know, <laughs> you know in a nutshell, in a moment, um, can you can you give a word of advice to the Christian? Two two things. One is be confident because we have a very powerful ally on our side, and that is reality. Reality, I know when I say reality, I mean the way things really are, is on our side. So we don't ever need to shy away from any topic. We don't ever need to um, worry about pressing in to any issue. It all falls back on the fact that I don't. we don't want to believe things that are false. We, we just don't. So if it's false, 
I want to know, and we need to lead with that perspective. We need to dig into the hard issues and with the understanding that reality is actually on our side. Um, you know, I think atheists especially or, or certain certain other worldviews come across as, you know, intellectually robust or maybe they, they have more answers and it's just not true. Uh, Christianity uh, in recent times, I feel like, has gotten away from an intellectual stance. Um, we were seen as, Christians are oftentimes seen as anti-intellectual and there's nothing further from the truth. And the second piece goes along on this, on the coattails of this, on the coattails of this, read. If you're a Christian, I hear it all the time as a pastor and as an apologist, I don't like to read. Well, you've got to learn to like to read. Read widely. Read people you disagree with often. Read uh, ancient and, and uh, the works read the church fathers and most importantly read your bibles every day read your bibles start memorizing committing scripture to your minds and uh, and you'll see amazing things happen you'll see confidence um, come through don't be afraid to be wrong you know um the worst some of us the the worst fear that we have is that we'll talk to somebody and they'll know more than us I think that's fantastic because it's an opportunity for me personally. If I, if I, this happens to me, I get a free education. I get to sit and ask some strategic questions to somebody and say, and say, wow, you obviously know way more about this than me. This happened to me uh, with, with a friend. He's a, he's a um, marine biologist. He has his PhD from MIT. I mean, this guy is brilliant. And I didn't know that when I started the conversation very quickly, I realized as we were talking about evolution, very quickly, I realized I was so far out of my depth with this man. <laughs> like I was like, he's playing a different sport. Like and and he was schooling me, but I don't have a problem with that because again, I don't want to believe something that's false. So I take instead of trying to prove my point, I just sit there and ask him, well, like tell me, tell me all about this. Why am I wrong and where am I wrong and show me and prove it. What can I be reading so I know more? Um, and the, one of the ways that we can learn how to converse really, really well is reading uh, Kokel's book. I don't know if you've read it, Jana, uh, the tactics book. Yes. It's phenomenal. And, uh, and he, he'll help that the, the tactics in that book help give us the confidence that we need to go into a conversation. Um, so, so the first thing is, is, you know, we have reality on our side. We don't need to be scared of anything pressing in uh, Christian worldview best explains the way the world really is. Um, second thing is read and read often and widely read people you don't believe read or trust read uh people that you don't agree with um read old stuff you know especially church fathers and things like this and read your bibles and then also read coco i guess <laughs> yes yeah. I, yes yeah and, and don't be afraid to, to to press in and don't be afraid to not to have the answers nobody has all the answers that's why we're not god yeah, I think that's that's really excellent advice. And if I could add one more Greg Kokel book to your advice to reading tactics, I would say his his recent book on the called the story of reality. If you're a Christian or even not, um, that really, in a in a very accessible way, speaks to everything you've been talking about um, in terms of what we experience in our life and in the world, and how the Christian worldview is the best explanation for reality. So yeah. um, having listened to you, I'm also equally not, not only inspired by your story, but also very challenged as, as someone, as anyone should be listening to your story to really not take whatever worldview you have for granted, but actually be an open pursuer of truth and after truth, um, whatever that is, because it will lead you, um, you know, where you need to go. And if you're pursuing truth with an openness like you have, even you know, even if you began like you did in an effort to disprove, you were still open enough to to not shut down anything that conflicted with your with your own worldview. You were open to receive it and to question it and to challenge it, and it led to where you are. So I think we can all um, take uh, again a kind of inspiration from all of that and from what we've heard today and and move from this conversation and be re-inspired towards towards seeking very in a very intentional way 
uh, what it is that we believe, why we believe it, and does it match with reality. So thank you for bringing that to us today, John. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jenna, and thank you again for all the work that you're doing putting this podcast out there. I'm such a supporter in what you're uh, trying to get done, and I think the, the work is incredible. So you're leading the way. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Side B Podcast to hear John's story today. You can find out more about where he works at the Stand to Reason Ministry and the books that he recommended by Greg Kokel in the episode notes of this podcast. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at the Side B Podcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time, where we'll be seeing how someone else flips the record of their life.